things, uh, our perspective on things can change very quickly. They can change in an instant. It reminds me a little bit of the one I've heard about the, um, the very senior police officers in L.A. who got the call that there was a con man working a crowd down at City Square. And so they go down there, and the more senior one's walking up to this young man who apparently is selling bottles of water, claiming it to be from the Fountain of Youth. And he walks up, the seasoned police officer says, now I got a bad feeling about this one, Frank. Go, go run the record on this guy. So he sits there talking to him. Eventually Frank's coming back and he says, he's got priors, doesn't he? And Frank says, yeah, he does. The first one's from 1830. <laughs> <laughs> Our perspective can change in a moment. And I think Easter is like that. I mean, I think that the followers of Jesus knew there was something special with him. They knew something was going on. They thought he was going to be a political messiah. They've had this reset and all this. But now he's risen from the dead. And I think it changes deeply, profoundly everything. Certainly we as Christians say that's the most important moment in all of history. And it changes how we see Jesus. It changes how we look back on what he said and what he taught. When you suddenly get that he is risen, he really is who he said he was, it changes how we see it all. And I, I'm a lifelong Episcopalian. I know there are loads of reasons why people come to church, right? I mean, they all come together to get us here at times. Sometimes it's because we want to see our friends. Sometimes it's because we want community. Sometimes it's because we know there's something here, but we don't, really don't have our arms around it or whatever else. And I think there are all these kinds of reasons that, that pull. But once we get it set in us that Jesus is risen, that he's Lord, and this stuff is true, it's a different perspective completely. It's a complete shift in how we see what life's about, what it means when, when our life here ends, um, our purposes, all of that stuff changes. And we see that in the early church and what they did and how they were. And so today is the, really the second Sunday of a sermon series we're doing, but in really some ways it's the first Sunday in earnest. But what we're looking at is what did this community of followers of Jesus, when he's resurrected, how did they live? What were they about? And what's it mean for us today? Like, how can, what can we learn what they were like? These, this first group who saw it, experienced it firsthand. How did they live? And what's it mean for us? And we're doing this for six more weeks um, after that, or five more weeks after today. So today we want to stop and look at, a little bit at community with the reading that we have from Acts. Because the book of Acts is really lays all this stuff out about what the early church was like. So these, today and these other five weeks that are coming, we're looking at passages from Acts. And today's really, we're looking at this notion of community that's in it. And I think the very first thing to say about it is uh, that Christianity is ultimately a communal thing, right? Because we may enter into this as individuals. We may come to a place where we're struggling, encountering Christ, and we come to this place where we, we say, as an individual, I'm all in. But from that moment on, it's really about the community of believers. That's the way Jesus set it up. That's the way Jesus started with a community, the 12. He brings together these disciples and sends out the 70. He has them all waiting in Jerusalem for the Holy Spirit before they go out. It's a community thing. And there is, you know, really no essence of Christianity without that. One of the um, pastors I like right now, writers, I should say, um, Eugene Peterson, he's a guy who translated the Message Bible. He's gotten really extra hip lately because he's, he's gotten into... Uh, a deal with Bono where they've been doing some videos on the Psalms and stuff. So his cool factors think gone way up. 
But here's what Eugene Peterson says about it. He says there can be no maturity in the spiritual life, no obedience in following Jesus, no wholeness in the Christian life apart from an immersion in and embrace of community. I'm not myself by myself. This idea that we, we have to have others as we live this thing out. And God calls us to be the body of Christ, to be this community. And I think it's a, an amazing thing that we see in the early church. So what I'd like to do with the rest of the sermon is just look at, at three um, aspects of the early church. What we see in the early opening chapters of Acts and what they're alike. And, and the first one of these things is they have this tremendous unity that we see there. They are really walking in step with what they're about and what their purpose is. And you can see it in a number of different places. Um, in verse 32 that we read just a moment ago, the first part of it says, Now the whole group of those who believed were of one heart and soul. John Wesley, the, um, the great uh, Anglican priest, I'm going to say, <laughs> from the 18th century. I love, I love John Wesley. Some of y'all know I did my seminary at, um, at Perkins over at SMU. And um, do I have time for one quick story? I think I do. So I had this real quick story. I, um, one of my favorite stories from being there was uh, I got into this lottery where I got to have my own graduate cubicle. There's a hidden floor in Bridwell Library. And, uh, and we went over there, and I had to share it with another Episcopalian who was a real Anglo-Catholic uh, friend of mine. And he decided on day one when we got there, he's like, we need to let all the, our Methodist fellow students know that we're not just Methodists, that we're Anglicans or Episcopalians, whatever. He says, I've got this box of icons in my garage. Why don't I bring those up and we'll put them all in our cubicle? So we did. And we had, we had all these saints, these icons all over our, our place. And one of our friends who's good natured, she came and brought us a poster of John Wesley. <laughs> and um, I had just read this passage from John Wesley in these historical documents, the we, like the week before he dies, saying, I've been a good Anglican priest all my days, and those who respect me will remain so. That's pretty much what it said. So we cut that out and put it on the bottom of the poster, <laughs> stuck it up in our carol with all the icons, and we had lots of great conversations with our Methodist brothers and sisters that we love. Anyway, John Wesley, talking about this passage and all these early believers in the church, he says their love, their hopes, their passions were joined. They were united in what they were doing. And I think all the business folks in the room know that I mean, the business literature, at least for the last 30 years, is all about having clear vision, clear mission, got to get the team knowing where they're going. Um, the, the leaders, they have this vision. They've got to share it with everybody else so everybody else on the team knows it. And this group in the early church, they are crystal clear about what the vision is and what they're doing. And it makes it easy for them to make decisions and to focus and do the stuff that they're doing. And I, I, I know a number of years ago back in the, um, when the Episcopal Church was going through a bunch of controversy, which we won't go into, all the ups and downs of what was going on with this, but I was working with a rector who was like, we're going to double down on our mission of, of the gospel. We're not going to be off on this stuff. It was, it was a call to the community to come back to focusing in on what God has us doing in terms of growing the church and sharing the gospel and all this other kind of stuff. And it made for a much healthier place. It made it easier to make decisions. And this church here, we're called to be this community. We have a mission. I mean, however you want to say it, at the end of the day, all Christian churches are called to help people coming to a growing relationship 
with Jesus Christ. And we say it in different words and different things, but that's what we're about. And we, like I say, our vestry and our rector have phrased it slightly differently, but that's what we're about. And it changes how we make decisions and what we do, and it changes how we view things. And when something happens that we suddenly realize, oh yeah, church isn't about me, it helps us remember what it is about and what our mission's about. I heard somebody telling me today, true story, just on the break, they were telling me how they went to one of our services recently, and they sat down in the pew, and the person in the pew kind of next to them just kept looking at them. And they became, they became aware that apparently they had sat in their pew. <laughs> and so they moved because it felt too uncomfortable. But I'm like, if we were crystal clear about our mission, thank God someone else is in that pew. Move around. I mean, do, we want to invite. We want to be welcoming. We want to do all that stuff because we know what we're about. So that, that's the first thing. They were unified. They had great unity about their mission and purpose. We're called to be that same way, to be a people with a mission and a purpose. And we probably don't talk enough about it. And this, the second thing that they were really about in a profound way was being a community of generosity. And they really maybe took it to a level we, we, we're not able to relate to. But listen, listen to where this goes on this. Um, this is the very next part of the same verse, verse 32. And no one claimed private ownership of any possessions, but everything they owned was held in common. This idea that they're driven on purpose and their generosity these folks were just selling what they had and bringing it into the community because they were going to keep this thing going. And I think some of us are going like, whew, that's not the expectation now. And it wasn't the rule then either. It was voluntary then. We'll see some things happen later where there was some hypocrisy around it, but it wasn't a requirement. And uh, I think, but what is with it that does come to us is they were marked by extreme generosity. And I think for us, we get to that place by remembering that Every single thing we have, every single gift, every talent, every bit of money is ultimately God's. And when we're giving back, we're giving back what's his. I think that helps us to be generous. And, and the truth is, you know, Paul told us that it's more blessed to give than to receive. We get, we're the ones that get blessed as we give. The more we can develop a generous heart, the more we're getting blessed. And I don't mean that in some kind of prosperity doctrine thing. I just mean in a deep, profound sense of fulfillment in what we do. And all these folks are giving it in terms of mission and ministry. And I think that's our call, right? Um, you know, I'm not going to go on a big detour right here. But, you know, last year our, um, in the church, our budget pledging process was pretty much, I won't go into all the complications of it, but it was pretty much flat. And for ministries that are growing in this church, it's mean, it means we've, we've been left needing more and trying to figure out how we're cutting things and all this other stuff. And there's part of me that just wants to say, Let's be a, a community of generosity. Let's be a people that are like, what do we need to do to make this stuff happen? You know, let's double down in all of this stuff. Well, the final thing I want to look at is listen to this as we get to verses 33 and 35. It says, with great power, the apostles gave their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And great grace was upon them all. And this notion of great grace that this early band of followers who were taking this all on board and going all in, they're marked by grace. They've received the, the Holy Spirit in spades. They are a community of grace. And I think for us, it's a reminder that a community that's going to be a life-giving community like this is going to be a community that celebrates grace, receives grace, and shares grace. And, uh, and that's part of what it means. And I think it's something we have to work on. We, we get God's grace and love 
We're meant to be instruments of that and share it, right? I read a story recently um, which moved me and to really reflect on a lot of this. Um, it was a story from a pastor named Gordon McDonald out of, out of Denver, and he tells a story that a bunch of his parishioners were um, involved in AA, and so at some point they asked him if he would go, and he started attending some. And he had this one experience after he'd been going for a while, and this is what he says, and I want to read this story. He says, one morning, um, Kathy, I guess her age to be about 35, joined us for the first time. One look at her face caused me to conclude that she must have been Hollywood beautiful at 21. But now her face was swollen, her eyes red, her teeth rotting, her hair looked unwashed, uncombed for who knows how long. I've been in five states in the past month, she said. I've slept under bridges on several nights, been arrested, robbed, now she's starting to weep. And I don't know what to do. I, I don't know what to do. I don't want to be homeless anymore. But I can't stop drinking. She cried more. I can't stop. I can't. And next to Kathy was a rather large woman, Marilyn, sober for more than a dozen years. And she reached out with both arms towards Kathy and pulled her close, so close that Kathy's face was pressed to Marilyn's chest. I was close enough to hear Marilyn speak quietly into Kathy's ear. Honey, you're going to be okay. You're with us now. We can deal with this together. All you have to do is keep coming. Hear me? Keep coming. And then Marilyn <coughs> kissed the top of Kathy's head. I was awestruck. The simple words, the affection, the tenderness. How Jesus-like. I couldn't avoid a troubling question that morning. Could this have happened in the places where I've worshipped? Would there have been a Marilyn to respond in this way? This early community of those who experienced Jesus resurrected, they were marked by extreme unity. They were marked by an incredible generosity. And they were marked by being a community of great grace. Will you join me in praying for that? Gracious Lord, we ask that you would help us. Help us to take on board all of the Easter miracle and allow it to change us. Bring us together as a people united around you and around the cross to have contagious joy, generosity, and the ability to share it fully. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.